Hi, I'm Joanna Barron. And I'm Leslie Gray. Welcome to the Love and Dividends podcast where women get smart about money. We'll share interviews and conversations about optimizing your finance, getting started with investing, and building wealth. So today, we are chatting with three very intelligent, very educated women about their varying financial situations and how they can get started in their specific circumstances with getting smart about their finances. And we just want to mention if any listeners or readers or curious fans want to hop on a call like this with us for a sort of mini coaching session, just drop us a line at hello at loveanddividends.com or DM Love and Dividends on Instagram. Um, and we would love to see how we can help you. So let's get into it, Les. Fantastic. Okay, my very dear friend Sig is here. I'll let her give her intro because we don't want to share too many details. People are welcome to be on uh, confidentially. But Sig, tell us about your financial situation. Hi. Um, yeah, my name is Signy. Thank you so much for having me on the podcast. Um, I guess I can get started. I've been a nurse. Uh, I work at Sick Kids uh, for about 10 years now. Um, this was my second degree. Um, so I did a, my first degree at Guelph uh, in human kinetics, and then I decided to go into nursing after that. Uh, and then I actually just finished my master's of nursing about two years ago. Um, so financially, sort of where I'm sitting at now, I, I rent uh, a condo in Toronto, um, pretty close to the hospital. Uh, I've paid off my student debt, which I did pretty quickly, um, about 10 months after I finished my undergrad degree. Um, and I'm doing pretty well in terms of saving. Um, so I have an RRSP currently and a tax-free savings account. Um, my RRSP is, I'd say, pretty close to the max amount. There's about 38000 in there. Um, and I'm just kind of unsure of what to do with that and how to use it. And uh, yeah, that's my sort of financial situation right now. Okay, so uh, our second question beyond your financial situation is what is your main financial worry right now? Oh, there's so many. Um, I think just in general, sort of talking about finances and talking about investments um, gives me so much anxiety. I almost don't really have a good um, place to start. I don't know where to start. I don't know what kind of questions to ask. I don't even know who to go to to ask these questions. Um, like sort of right now where my money is at is, is through the bank. So I, I kind of go, I'm with Royal Bank. I go in. Um, they kind of do a lot of the investing for me, I guess. Um, I'm going to say it's, I'm pretty naive to, to where my money is. I actually have no idea really. Um, I'm quite nervous about risk. I'm nervous about losing a lot of money. So I think my biggest concern is that like, I don't even really know where to start. Um, yeah. Okay, well, you know, that's it with you and hopefully help you through. But if everything was going well, what would be your short term financial goal? What's something that you're saving for? And what's something you want to have your money ready to do? Yeah, great question. Um, so I think my short term goal uh, right now is um, I'm saving a lot of money for travel. So I'm really, uh, that's like sort of my biggest short term goal. Long term, what I'm kind of looking to do is invest in property. So ideally, I'd like to buy my own house 
or a condo in Toronto, um, as well as a car. So I don't have a car currently. So those are two big investments that I'm sort of saving for and looking to use uh, that money for. Well, I have a condo and Les has a car, but neither of us have the other thing. So I guess we can <laughs> sort of mutually help. Although a condo and a car, that's kind of living the dream, especially in Toronto. Amen, sister. But also, Sig, you're doing such great work as a nurse during COVID. Like, we're obsessed. These are the kind of women we want having, like, full, you know, being in charge of their finances, knowing what they're doing, feeling comfortable. So I don't know, Joanna, if you have any initial thoughts, I have a few. We can sort of dive in. Uh, why don't you jump in first? I have a few thoughts on the margins, yeah. but uh, I'll let you get a first crack at this COVID hero and her hopes and dreams. <laughs> Yay. And a personal hero of mine. Well, I think first of all, it sounds like you're doing such a good job saving, which I think is amazing. This is what we're told and the theme that's come up on our podcast is that women are actually really good about saving and really good about putting stuff away. But what you're doing, I think, is what a lot of people do, which is to give it to a bank and maybe not fully understand how they're investing it. Are they really growing it? What we've heard is that men are really good about um, investing and growing their wealth in the way that women aren't necessarily doing. So I think my first question and what I'd want to know from SIG is, is I'd love to look at those numbers. I'd love to look at how it's invested, what kind of fees there are on that. Um, and making sure you have enough for some of those goals for the car or the condo so that you can actually start putting away money every month to make sure you're going to meet that goal when when you want that money available. What do you think, Joanna? Yeah, I think one thing that I heard is that she has some trepidation about risk, which is totally normal. And I guess that's the flip side of women being good savers. And when we do invest, we're actually on the on the whole on average we get better returns but in part that's because like when you see how men invest it'll be like they'll do like a huge risk reward ratio and sometimes it really pays off but most of the time they lose it all you know when they like put all their life savings in bitcoin or whatever so I, there is a middle road and for me it was just learning about the historical trends of the market that for the last century literally the market has always only gone up. So if you're investing horizon is long enough. And if you know that you're, I, I'm looking at your lovely face right now, Sig, you look like you're pretty young. So you probably have like a couple of decades to invest your money for retirement. She's yeah. gorgeous. Look at this gorgeous she nurse. I know. She's so um, cute. Yeah. Podcasts are a visual medium. This is very useful for our, for our uh, <laughs> listeners. But in any event, you have a timeline. So you don't have to be worried about things like if you see a momentary blip in your investments, right? Because you know that historically the line of the market is always on an upward slope. And a way to sort of get started with investing in a very diversified way so you're not putting all your eggs into one basket is to put your money in, in a diversified index fund where you have like a little sliver of every stock in the market. Does that make sense? Uh, no, I don't even know what a diversified <laughs> index account is. I, I, that might be a really awful question, but this is what it's I mean. So like I honestly have question. no idea what, what, so, and I've listened to, I've definitely like listened to your podcast before and it's, and it's very informative and great, but I also am like, I, there's a lot of these words that I, I've never heard of before. 
It's so awful. I'm so, okay. I have a healthcare no, mind. Not at all. Not, not at all. I didn't, I had no idea what an index fund was like three years ago. Um, so I'll, I'll take a crack at it and then maybe, maybe Leslie wants to correct. So this is an analogy that helped me. So let's say you want to buy a new cream or a new moisturizer and you want it to be the best. You could either buy a giant bottle of one kind, or you could buy a variety pack with a little bit of every kind. And therefore you're not wedded to any specific one moisturizer. So similarly, when you buy an index fund, you're not putting whatever you want to invest. Let's say it's $2,000 a month. You're not going to put that $2,000 a month towards one stock, even if it's as good of a stock as Amazon, Apple, Shopify, like these are like the big high growth companies of our time, but they could crash. Instead, you're going to have a, a sliver of Amazon, a sliver of Apple, a sliver of energy stocks, a sliver of. So basically, you put your money into a fund that buys up a proportionate share of every company that's publicly traded, meaning every company that takes public money in order to continue building their profits. And in return, you as a stockholder, you have a share of their profits. Um, but you can do that on a very micro basis. And to be more practical, you can use a robo-advisor, such as in Canada, we love Wealth Simple, we love Quest Wealth, where they will just automatically do that for you. And not only will they give you a sort of thin slice of the pie of all the Canadian stocks, they'll also give you a slice of the pie of all the US stocks all of the emerging markets, you know, emerging markets in developing countries that can be great wealth building opportunities, but you wouldn't want to put all your money into South America or Africa or whatever, but a bit of each. And so they automatically will do all of that for you. Is that helpful at all? Yeah, Joanna, I feel like that is a great explanation. And you and I love a metaphor, so I might do a slightly <laughs> different one because Sig and I are enjoying a delicious bottle of rosé as we like to do in the beautiful summer months. It's sort of like owning a great vineyard. And the reality is, as you look out on the full vineyard, you're like, some of these plants will just die. Some of them won't even be grapes enough to make wine. Some of them will be exceptional grapes that will make a great rosé. Some of them will be medium where like you can put it into some and whatever. So you're buying, instead of buying one bush where you're like, I don't really know if this will pan out or not. No one can know. Mother Nature likes to rain her terror on us, sometimes in the form of a global pandemic. You're a nurse, <laughs> get some hand sanitizer. But um, but what I can value is in the entire field of great plants. I know some of these are going to be good enough that I can enjoy, especially when we look at the Canadian stock market, the U.S. stock market, or Joanna, to your point, internationally. We know over time, this beautiful vineyard has always produced great wine. I don't, I can't tell you which bushes. Some experts might say, I, I know that bush or I know this one. I personally wouldn't want to do that because I'm like, it could also die. I don't know. But I know if I buy the whole vineyard, I'm getting some delicious bottles yeah. at the end of so it. So with, with $100, you can either buy one grape plant or a slice of the whole vineyard. And when you're buying an index fund, yeah, this this analogy, I, th I think this metaphor works better, Leslie. So you're buying a share of the whole vineyard, not just one whole plant. So that's how index funds work. And they are touted by Nobel Prize winning economic research. Um, and they're just an easy and very effective. And they've done studies. The New York Times did studies. I feel kind of shade because we've had people on the podcast who have been like, you know, I, I pick stocks and I do better than the index fund. But over the decades, no individual stock picker has done better than just if you'd invested your money in the whole market over over the long term. So 
it is actually the best bet if you want a good return on your investment. But it's also like, I realized this at some point as, as well, that like, yeah, I could like nerd out and research which companies to invest in, but I'm a lawyer and I don't want to spend my days doing that. I want to just, you know, leave my money in some wealth building machine and watch it grow. And, and we don't want you, you doing that do either. That. Like you're no. doing too much good for other people right now. So we think yeah. that's why I think, but I think for you, what would be helpful is maybe asking whoever's running it and getting that information and coming in, knowing your stuff so that you can be like, what are you actually doing with this? What fees are you charging? How are you growing my wealth so I can meet my goals? So I think. Okay. So then this, the second thing I want to pivot to is her goals of home ownership and car ownership. So I will say if you have a goal that's within the, within the next few years, because um, definitely you should start investing your money, but that's more long-term for retirement um, for many reasons, uh, which I we don't need to get into. It's just a good idea to have a big pot of money waiting for you when you're an old granny so you can just chill. Um, but uh, in terms of shorter term goals, you don't want to necessarily put that money in the stock market because you want it to be liquid. Um, you could put some of it in, but it's just a bit more of a risk. Like if I had to cash out my stocks last month, they would have I would have lost value. So I wouldn't want to be in that situation. So in that situation, you want to either have your money in what's called a GIC, a guaranteed investment certificate. Leslie, aren't you glad I remember that this time? Or I'm very HISA, yes, a high interest savings account. And so you're not gonna get as much return, but you will get something and you'll just have that money parked for whenever you're ready. So honestly, you have to just look at the numbers, right? You assume that you wanna have a 20% down payment because then you'll automatically be covered by housing insurance. You know what the cost of dwellings in Toronto is. Um, then you also are going to need money for a lawyer, for closing costs. Hopefully you don't have to do major renovations. If you're buying a condo, if you're buying a house, could be a little trickier. But I budgeted when I bought my condo um, in October 2017, I budgeted about $5,000 just for closing costs, just for land transfer tax, the lawyer, stuff like that. And then the down payment, which, you know, is 20% of whatever. If you're buying a $500,000 property, it's about 80 grand. So it's a decent chunk of change. Yeah, I know. I know. The numbers are kind of cruel, but. but No, but you're doing thing. well. Once you're on track for that. You're yeah, doing really yeah. well. And you just, you have to look at what your goals are and, and work backwards from the horizon. And, you know, and, you know, you can think of other things that you can do if you can, ask family members for help that will obviously bridge the gap um but they look at your no, number, but also look at what your about goal. yeah reassessing your finances because we're all about independence here too you know yeah. i mean yeah yeah but i think you're doing really well i know Thanks, it's just guys. it's a cruel <laughs> reality in in a city like toronto that I have friends who are realtors and they're like pretty much anytime a millennial buys a house, it's mom and dad giving the down payment. It's like, so if you ever uh, wonder how that couple on Instagram bought that house in Cedarvale or whatever, their parents bought that house. Congratulations get, to their parents. Um, so just as a side note, I grew up in Cedarvale. No big deal. Can't believe that was the actual neighborhood that you referenced. That's where I was born and raised. And, and would you like to buy a I house could, there? Would love to, but absolutely could never, especially on like a single person's income, could never afford a house there. Um, but yeah, it's, yeah, it's honestly, and I think it's important just to have these conversations. Like I know it's really awkward to t sometimes talk about money. Um, but I, and I, and 
So therefore I just don't, and I just let, let it kind of come and go as it is, um, and just keep on saving, but still again, have no idea where it's coming from. So like maybe one, like if, if you're, if you're talking to a person like me or if a person like me is listening, what's like one thing, the first thing that you guys would recommend, like who do, maybe who do I go to? And yeah, that's it. Who do I go to? Do I go talk to someone at a bank? Do I talk to my friends? Do I talk to my parents? Do I talk to a financial planner? Who would you just go to say, let's have this first conversation? Uh, I, mean, I would, I would, I would go talk to an app called every dollar. So I would automatically start looking at everything that's coming in and every dollar that you make has a destination. So just get a handle on what exactly you're doing with your money. You know, you have money, you know, you spend money, but you don't know exactly, you know, everything in between. So that was my first game changer. I was like, oh, you know, I have this money here. I have this money there. And and the next thing that you can do is you don't have to go talk to somebody at a bank. If you go talk to somebody at a bank, they're going to sell you on some high fee mutual fund. And that's just going to be a waste of your time and a waste of your money. You go to Wealth Simple or Quest Wealth, you open up an account, there's no minimum amount, and you just start investing. And then as you start looking at your spending and your savings rate, you start to say, maybe I can invest a little bit more. Um, but you just get started. You just sort of get into the habit. And trust me, as soon as you start seeing your savings and your net worth start to go up, it, it's addictive. It's just, it's like a game. You just, you, you want more. Um, so that's, yeah, that I agree. My answer to that question is like, you go to yourself, which is so unhelpful, but like, <laughs> I do think like parents aren't always like, they're, they're so kind and generous and loving, but they're not always as helpful because they grew up in such a different time and might have really different ideas about money. I, yeah, I don't want to be too alarmist, but I get hesitant about banks and fees and things like that. So some financial planners are great, but you have to be so diligent. If you don't want to read all the fine print, there can be a lot of fees there. And friends, again, are great, but sometimes as you start to chat it out, it turns out like it's just a bank of their parents, which also is lovely. Parents <laughs> are kind and generous and wonderful, so I don't want to shame anyone for that, but that's the reality, so it might not be as helpful. So I think going to yourself is great. And then personally, to any friend, but when I say no friends, maybe some friends who are knowledgeable, let's get started with a good robo-advisor, get started with investing. I'm all for it. And we'll chat more. Thanks for being on so much, Sig. Okay, we're here with our next person. This is another good friend of mine, Erin. Erin, thank you so much for joining. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Um, so maybe a little bit about myself. Um, I am a lawyer downtown Toronto. I have been practicing for about four and a half, five years now. And uh, I live downtown Toronto, I rent. Um, and when I did endeavor to go back to school and get my law degree, I did finance that completely on my own. So I do have an accumulation of some student debt. Um, I came out of law school with about six figures. So at this point, I don't make an insignificant amount of money, but you can imagine with that six figure debt, I am working quite hard to pay it off on a monthly basis while at the same time maintaining a lifestyle downtown Toronto. Okay, awesome. So that is kind of the precis of your financial situation. So you have debt, you also have the overhead of Toronto expenses and lifestyle, but you also are making, I'm going to assume, a like healthy six-figure salary. So what's up, lawyers? Um, so why don't we jump to jump into what's your main worry about money currently? Yeah, it's it's a really good question. And to be honest with you, 
I feel like debt when I got into it was just going to be something I'd have to be comfortable with. Um, however, I think that as I'm getting older now and trying to figure out, okay, well, what does my future hold? What do I really want out of life? I think really paying down that debt and freeing up some of my, you know, disposable income to perhaps buy a sailboat one day, which I know everyone in the financial world might say, gosh, Aaron, that's not an investment. That's a liability. But to be honest with you, I would prefer to have that over a home. Um, the home isn't really something I'm striving for at this point in time. Um, so, you know, nothing extravagant, not a yacht, something maybe in like the twenty to $30,000 range would be something that I am looking in the next, you know, two to three years to secure. Um, but, you know, with my current overhead and my debt payments, I'm just looking for a way to kind of get there. I don't think that's a poor goal at all. And the reason I say that is a couple of things. One, I'm reminded of Joanna, our previous guest and Jolly, who would say, yeah, saving for retirement's great, but it's actually not as helpful for someone starting out because you actually need a more tangible short-term goal. It's it's not, we love talking about Granny Joanna and Granny Leslie, but they're, it's not as feasible. It doesn't feel as real to save for retirement. So therefore you're not as motivated. Whereas having a tangible short-term goal can really help you get started because you know it's something you could actually achieve you can start to look at, well, what would that cost me a month? What would that cost me annually? And, you know, I think she would say having a more tangible goal is helpful. And then two, on the Love and Dividends podcast, we're all about money wins. We're all about enjoying your money, spending it on what adds value to your life. And we're not really here, I don't think, to judge or shame what that is. So if that's a sweet boat, maybe not quite a yacht, but a boat that you get a lot of enjoyment and pleasure out of and you are sailing away on Lake Ontario and it's social and it's fun and it's outdoor activity. I don't think we have any qualms with that. What, what do you think, Joanna? And that kind of answers our question. question three, our short-term goal. But maybe I yeah. can just add to that last before you jump in, Joanna. Um, I just want to say, like, I feel like for me, there's been a bit of a security blanket. I work for a company where we do have an employee share purchase plan. I do put a little bit away a month. Um, and then I also um, have a pension. And so I feel like in the back of my head, okay, well, that's my safety net. But at the same time, I have no idea what that means long term. I don't know what that means in terms of my goals or my retirement or anything like that. So I feel like I'm not being very smart. I'm being willfully blind to kind of like the whole I need to plan because um, at the end of the day, I see a little bit coming off here and there of my paycheck. But certainly, I don't think enough to satisfy what my overall goals are. So just to be clear, does your employer offer uh, like a, a an investment match? Like if you put away some amount from your paycheck, do they match it? Okay, that's awesome. If so, very rare in Canada. I'd love that. Yeah, so they do. They put they match about fifty percent of what I I sort of put away. And to be honest with you, I'm not maxed out on that. And I feel like that's maybe a little bit fiscally irresponsible. Um, but you know, over the course of the last four years, getting out of school, digging yourself out of a bit of debt. Um, I'm now just at a point where I'm a little bit more flexible with a little bit additional disposable income that I can now play around with. Okay, awesome. Yeah, and I'm, I mean, I'm reminded of our other previous guest, Sherry, who would say, see what your company's plans are, because that's free money. Is there a matching of buying stocks? Is there an RSP? Is there anything like that? She'd be the first to say, make sure you're maxing that out. Because at the end of the day, what, what she would say about it is it's free money. And that was sort of her, if I recall, that was her first taste 
of getting her finances together. She was in a very similar situation with a ton of student debt. And, you know, now she's a work optional millionaire. So there, there's hope for all of us. Yeah. Yeah. So what I would say is, although I do think it's, you should absolutely take advantage of your employee match. You also, you know, you don't know if you're going to work there forever. So I also would, would start your own portfolio, even if it's just literally 50 bucks, 100 bucks a month. I would start investing somewhere else, Wealth Simple or Quest Wealth. Um, in terms of, but you can kind of, you can pursue all tracks at the same time, but you just have to know that you like, if you just put your money on the debt repayment track, you're going to pay off your debt quickly. But you don't necessarily want to do that. And perhaps your interest rates are low enough that it makes more sense for you to put some of your money towards paying off your debt because there's no good debt. Um, put some of your money towards a high interest savings account to buy your sailboat in the next few years. Um, and, you know, I'm sure that you can look into secondhand options, but you obviously want something very high quality. So you could probably get that within, you know, one to two years. And yeah, I mean, your money is to provide value and enjoyment for your life. So you should absolutely pursue that. And also just to sort of build up the muscle so that it's kind of there when you're ready to go X Games mode on it, start your own sort of outside portfolio. Again, there may be implications, tax implications for when, if you did leave your job, if you wanted to transfer those investments to some other vehicle, um, I'm, I'm sure it can be done clearly because people leave jobs all the time, but I would look into that as well. Um, but definitely start investing outside as well and get your high interest savings account. So I just checked and currently the best high interest savings rate in Canada is with Scotiabank, the Momentum Plus savings account, 2.7. Um, then there's EQ Bank. And the thing to note about high interest savings accounts is you want it outside of your primary bank. So that you don't look at that money and think, oh, that's 10 grand that I can just, you know, put on my credit card or or you just you just want it to be separate. So it's just psychologically less accessible. At least that's what has worked for me. That's a really, really good piece of advice. I had never really thought about that sort of psychological being on the buffet of things that you could use to pay off or spend on a trip or just have it there kind of out of sight, out of mind, let it, I've, I've never really thought about it that way. So that's a really great piece yeah. of advice. Yeah. You can even yeah. name your account, like, like my dream sailboat or, you know, <laughs> there you go. Cool. Captain I mean, Aaron, is, whatever. <laughs> yeah. Like, I feel like this is, I mean, this is not really something that I've ever really talked about with friends or family. And for me, like, this is kind of very refreshing because to see someone who, you know, went to school, invested in themselves, presumably from the outside has like their shit together. But really, when you dive down into it, I'm like, I don't really want to talk about that because I really don't think I do. Um, and it kind of sort of bursts that persona of like, hey, I'm good. I'm confident. I'm on the right track. But am I really on the right track for my future? So um, I think it's really great what you guys are doing in terms of sort of this creating this dialogue. Yeah, that's what we said when we started this podcast, that we'll, we will talk with our girlfriends about like, our bikini waxer, very intimate details, but to talk about how much money you make, how much debt you have, how much you save, that is way taboo. And men don't do that. Men are like, they, totally. they know that knowing about money gives you a competitive advantage because you know how to lobby for yourself. So we're not doing that 100%. Anymore. 
And they're comfortable being like, I'm going to throw it all. I'm going to really earn. I'm going to, I'm okay with the fact that I'm not there yet. Cause I know I'm going to get there. And I think women have a little bit more shame around like, why don't I have this really firm grounding space? And the reality is if you are in your position, which is all three of our positions and you've had an expensive education, we paid a lot of money for these brains and they're going to pay off long-term, but that's a long-term investment. So it's not surprising. It's, it's going to take a moment. And we, I think what we would both encourage, it sounds like Joanna, is not to say, well, I can't do anything. I know a lot of women in this position say, I can't do anything till the debt's paid. And I just fundamentally disagree with that. I think you have to start an investment portfolio. It's great you have the company one. I would also bring back in my wine metaphor and say, let those grapes age. Even if you leave the company, yeah. do we have to pluck the grapes or should we let them kind of sit there and really become a fine wine? Erin <laughs> actually talked yeah. off my wine just before we started her segment. Okay. So <laughs> um, so I would, I don't want that to be your mainstream. I think I want you to start your own portfolio. You feel confident about even start small. And I want your money to be something you enjoy so much while still paying off that debt in a way that feels really good. Just like a quick, a quick thing to know, and maybe you guys have some perspective on it, but I hear the saying thrown around a lot. Like you can't really be a single individual in downtown Toronto with sort of the cost of living and a single salary and kind of get ahead. And I feel that in a way that statement sounds a little bit psychologically crippling and might hold some people back because they're like, well, I mean, if that's sort of the standard, then do I really have to be saving or do I just really need to be getting by? Or is it possible to even save and get ahead in that situation? Yeah, I don't buy that at all. Like, I think one counterexample to that, I mean, she was in Montreal, but, you know, the same kind of applies is our last podcast guest, Sherry. She went from being 60 grand in debt to, you know, a, a millionaire who basically can live off residual income within about 10 years. So it's absolutely not true. You can totally get ahead. You can get ahead by uh, negotiating up your salary, by starting a side hustle, by making smart investments, investing in dividend funds. But yeah, that's there. there's like a million ways to improve your financial situation. Um, and yeah. if I can toot my and own horn, I've, I've, I've done it a little bit over the last few years. Um, I, I bought a property. I wrangled my way into a higher paying job that enabled me to save 50% of my income, which I do now. Um, and so I am building my wealth and, and I don't, you know, live off ramens or bananas. Um, so it's totally possible and yeah, but it's not possible if you just have it, but yeah, mindset totally matters, right? And Erin, I've heard that same narrative and I think it can be really, you know, difficult. And I, I do think it's tied into a lot of the terrible stereotypes we hear about, you know, potentially single women and, and at whatever age or whatever else, which I thought we tackled in the 90s during Sex in the City. But apparently yeah. in the 2020s, it's still a thing. And yeah, what I'll say to that further to Sherry, who's a perfect example, is she'd also be the first, she's now married, she has a partner with their own portfolio. And she's like, well, if we looked at combined, like it's, it's also not that you have to pick one or the other. She now is in a partnership where she's like, and the two of us have, she shared on the podcast X amount and they have a son together. It, it's not, it's not even that I'm all for do it alone and that's it. But I think what, what's such a beautiful gift to yourself is to become so financially secure on your, you know, on your own. And I don't think for men or women that you need two incomes for the city. I do think you need to be a lot more creative. I do think you need to be a lot more conscious of it. 
I do think you can't just go into autopilot and it won't just run itself. You do have to have a look and say, okay, how am I going to make this work for me? And what are the non-negotiables for me? Which you've obviously done. Yeah. And the I other also think part you're doing of very well. advice that, yeah, that Sherry said was, you know, you have to learn how to distinguish yourself in a career so that you have leverage to get paid what you want to get paid. And her advice for that is, was focus on your focus. Figure out where you have some ability and everybody has something that they're just naturally very good at. Figure out what that is and dive deep on it and make sure that people know it. Um, but yeah, you absolutely have leverage. And yeah, there's so much sexism in that. People don't say that about like professional men in Toronto. Oh, they just tread water. No, it's like they work their asses off. If they're ambitious and excellent, they be can become very wealthy. And the same is true of all of us and of you. Good. Well, I mean, I think that's, I think you're right. Like I can take a few snippets from what you've just said. Like, you know, um, don't just tread water. Just don't go onto autopilot. I really think at the end of the day, setting aside some time to really psychologically say, Aaron, like, what, what do you want? And what are you doing? Like, for me, I feel like part of it, and I don't know if everyone feels this way, but if you have money in the bank at the end of the day, you're doing well. And I need to get out of that mindset by saying it's not just about money in the bank, but it's about money somewhere that's helping, that's growing so that you can rely on that at some point. Um, and for me, I think I need to split the switch. Like my money is doing nothing for me. I don't have a lot of it, but you know, even taking a little bit out of that, just like non interest bearing account and putting it somewhere a little bit smarter is I think the way to go. And something that I've taken from Leslie, just speaking to her over the course of the last like day or so, um, the car ride up to the cottage or, you know, just random chats here and there. So, um, yeah, I think I have, I have a little bit of work to do. And I'll do it with you. Like, I'm so excited about this stuff. I obviously, as you know, can talk about it for forever. But I do think the first step is like having a look. And as we said to Seg, and I would say to you, like, who do I go to for it? Well, unfortunately, the first and fortunately, the first person is you. Like you really and, and half of the battle is just having a look at this thing that, you know, our culture has sort of told us is either taboo or just annoying. Like, I get it much like our our previous guests, like your focus should be on focus on your focus, your focus should be on law, it doesn't necessarily have to be on finances. But I also think your money should work for you, you work so hard for it. You're so good at what you do. Like, I want that money to be making more money for you without you having to do anything in a high interest account in an investment. Like that's yours to reap the benefits of, I think. Okay, okay Joanna, so just a quick money win. Okay, my money win is uh, I'm in Texas, as I've mentioned, and I thought as soon as I came down here, I would go first to the beauty salon um, to deal with my raggedy shag of a head of hair. Um, but as you may know, COVID virus numbers are surging like a mofo in Texas, so I will not be going to the salon. So I did some research on our friend Amazon.com, and I ordered some professional grade hair cutting scissors. And I'm going to make Richard cut my hair. <laughs> what? So that's my money. Win. I mean, let's see how it goes. But it, it, it's certainly cheaper than going to a hairdresser. So, yeah, that's what I'm doing. That is so funny. I love it. And I can't <laughs> wait to see Richard's work. Of well, art. it's like either 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 you cut my hair or I expose this this household to COVID. No, I'm kidding. But kind of. Wow. Welcome to Texas, baby. <laughs> Uh, up here where numbers are much lower, um, I, yeah. uh, my money win today, it's a, it's a small one for a small episode, but I was just on 
a beautiful golf course um, up here uh, on in Fernbank, and we ended up uh, golfing. There was three of us, and then we were joined by a fourth lovely uh, person. And I'm big on, as you know, I have been for a while, golf courses being opened. That's working well for me, a golfer. Uh, but the other thing that was exciting was right now, I would ask people to look into this. Right now, they're saving the carts, like the golf cart, the car you drive in. Um, a lot of courses aren't offering those because of COVID friendly. So I enjoyed my nine holes just walking around this beautiful golf course, not in a cart, got my exercise, and it cost $17. So it's the best money when possible. So for you non-golfers out there, this isn't true of all courses, but I would highly encourage you to look into it. This could be a really nice time to learn. It's a perfect COVID activity because with a long golf club, you really can't get within two meters of another golfer. Mm -hmm. And I just had a ton of fun and got my exercise. That's my mini win today. Amazing. And there may have been a beer cart involved. We may have had a few nice. on route. Nice. <laughs> oh, and the socialite gin sodas. That's my other fave. Okay, you course. are like like I'm like about to die from wasp overload. I mentioned right now. like eight drinks on this podcast. You're like golfing, gin and tonic, like, Caesar, like rose. <laughs> Beautiful golf, beautiful outdoor places. Joanna, you know my brand. It's never changed. Yeah. Yeah. You are so on uh, brand right now. Uh, well, thank you so much for this. And, and again, I agree with you. Any listeners who want to chat with us about this or want to just talk about their situation, please email us. Please DM us. We'd love to have you on. And we'd love to send you some love and dividends. Love and dividends. Have a good one. Thank you so much for listening to the Love and Dividends podcast. If you got value from this podcast, please share it with another woman who could benefit from the information that we shared. And please consider rating us and leaving us a review on iTunes. It really helps with new podcasts. If you have questions about finances and investing, have suggestions for future topics or guests, please let us know. You can shoot us a DM on Instagram, love and dividends, or you can send us an email at hello at loveanddividends.com. With love and dividends.